You're listening to The Ground Down, a podcast where we sit down with industry leaders and experts to discuss issues that affect the civil engineering industry. This podcast is brought to you by EHRA Engineering. Welcome. We hope that you enjoy the show. Uh, my name is uh, Jim Russ. I'm the president and CEO of EHRA Engineering. And this morning I have uh, with me one of my business partners and fellow uh, shareholders, Chris Brown, who is uh, a recently elected vice president of the firm and is also the leader of our visioning and planning practice here at EHRA Engineering. This morning we've got a, uh, an exceptionally distinguished panel of educational leaders with us. Uh, we have Mr. H.D. Chambers, who is the uh, superintendent of the A-Leaf Independent School District. Again, good morning, H.D. It's great to see you. Thank you very much for joining us. We've also got uh, uh, Jay Neal with us, who is the uh, associate vice president and chief operating officer of the uh, University of Houston Sugarland campus, as well as the recently opened uh, University of Houston Katy campus. So, Jay, good morning. It's great to see you as well, and thank you for joining us. Then we also have uh, with us Dr. Zach Hodges. Dr. Hodges is the uh, president of the Northwest College of the Houston Community College System. So again, Dr. Hodges, it's great to see you as well. Thank you for joining us. How have each of y'all been faring since mid-March when the COVID virus pandemic became a national crisis and everything started to shut down uh, here locally as well as across our nation. So HD, we'll go ahead and start with you. It's, it, I'm gonna answer that question by kind of dividing it into a couple of, of uh, chunks, if you will, pieces of time. When this, uh, when this first hit us in March, uh, as a matter of fact, March the 12th was the day that I closed schools in, in A-Leaf, for most, most school systems across the, the area did. Uh, from March 12th to the end of May, early June, which was the remainder, remainder of our school year, it was more of, um, of, of trying to pivot into, into an experience that very, very, very few of us educators have ever done, and that is not having access to our students uh, consistently. Uh, we, like higher ed, we, we literally pivoted from a in-person business to a virtual business in about two weeks. So we took 150 to 200 years of the way we, which we've been teaching and, and, and on a dime uh, attempted to change it. And, and by all means, we didn't, <clears throat> we were, we were, um, we were mediocre at best. Just as, just, uh, I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. So how did we fare during that time period? It was more of, uh, of almost like being, you know, punch between the eyes and then regaining your composure and then figuring out what just hit you, what, what just hit you. Now, how do we react to it? So thing, things like, and I'm just, I'll be brief on this, but during that March to May time period, it was things um, of just trying to reach out and find out, make sure our students were safe, make sure that they weren't over, that the, the reaction they were having to what was on the news every day uh, kept them some type of emotionally stabilized. And then we attempted to begin standing up. Here's we're gonna, how we're gonna continue teaching you through, uh, through virtual lessons. Uh, I, I say we fared mediocre during that time period because uh, our largest uh, obstacle in A-Leaf in a lot of districts was we did not have 
the capability of having 100% of our students have access to the internet or access to a device or reliable internet or a reliable device for us to truly deliver some type of instruction. So uh, we had some that were okay, some families that were fine. We had roughly 30 to 35% of our families based on our surveys that it was not a good experience. In some cases, it was there was no experience because they just literally did not, weren't able to connect. So, um, so that that two and a half three month period was, you know, just trying to figure things out as quickly as we could. The summer, June through roughly the end of July, excuse me, June just the month of June, uh, we were able to provide some summer learning, and we learned a lot during the months of March, April, and May. Obviously, uh, we purchased. Um, up to almost 30,000 additional devices. We purchased up to 16,000 reliable 4G hotspots. And we did it early on because we've, we just knew our community. Our, and, and we were pretty much convinced based on talking to local health officials that this, this, this virus was gonna be around a while. So, we, so June was a little bit better. We had about 6,000 students participate in summer learning and every one of them had an internet uh, hotspot or, or device that we provided for them. So that was a little bit better. Uh, today, as we sit here, Jim, we started school today. Today's the first day of school in Aleph. Really? And we started 100% virtual. Uh, we're the first uh, first district in, in, in the greater Houston area for sure to start school, officially start school. We were the first school to announce, I, I announced about a month ago, month and a half ago, we were gonna start 100% virtual. Uh, but as we sit here today, uh, we feel very confident that uh, we have enough devices and hotspots for the families who need it. Uh, we have almost 46,000 kids who are going to be engaged in school today online, virtually, through a thing that we call Aleph Learns at Home. So, uh, you know, to answer the question, how are we faring now, uh, I feel confident about the preparation, the work that our staff has done to prepare for today. I would be better suited to answer the question in a couple of weeks about did all of that work, did all that preparation, how is it actually manifesting itself right now? And I don't think any of us are going to know that for the for the for the next you know thirty days to forty five days um, based on this virtual opening. So uh, I would sum it up by just saying we we survived basically from March to May. We began preparing for the school year for this upcoming school year. And now we're, we're as in good a position as we possibly can be with the resources and the, and the situation that we have at hand. I know it's, it's been tough for everybody and, and especially all y'all with, uh, uh, in, in the educational industry. It's, uh, again, as we talked earlier, this is not anything that anybody is, uh, is, uh, was prepared for or have ever done before. One thing I'll say, and I think Zach and Jay would probably agree with me is what, what is on, on its own. It's been, the word complicated doesn't seem to do it justice, but, but just on its own, just, just the, the virus itself, what has really added layers of complication is the, the politicizing of it and the way the, how the opening of school has become a national political debate. Um, and and, and I'll, I'm sure Jay and Zach can speak to that from the higher ed. It, but in the K-12 world, this has become a a partisan political issue that people are attempting to use for November the 3rd. And when you put that on top of just the general complications that come along with this, um, I'll, I'll tell you that's, that has, that is nothing has made me angry about this other than that, that part of it, that part of it 
makes me angry and and um and it's 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 not helping it's not helping it's just it's not helping thank you hd jay when we decided to close the campus we were able to leverage the timing with spring break so we have like a, a spring break happened and we had students that weren't here which helped faculty and staff kind of prep for what it's going to look like um, and it was kind of a, a you know the students immediately went home and stayed home but then we kind of had a gradual shutdown of, of I wouldn't even call it really shutting down. We just shouldn't have people on campus. You know, our security team has been here the entire time. Our facilities team has been here the entire time. Um, you know, and, and thankfully with, with most of, for us at U of H, um, I'd say 90% of our classes had some online component, whether it was just even the grade book. Um, we use a platform called, called Blackboard. So uh, with Blackboard, you know, their lecture notes, students' lecture notes were there so they could print them out and, and hopefully a lot of the faculty had recorded some of their lectures. So that was there. Um, you know, the, the faculty kind of were, were real anxious and rightfully so, but, you know, as for a lot of, and I, I taught for 15 years. So you, you've got your course, your 16 week package is put together, your lectures are there. I think sometimes we forgot, though, that that wasn't developed all at one time. Like on the first day of class, all 16 weeks were ready to go in the can. If you've taught it for multiple semesters, you're ready to go. But, you know, it's not ideal, but the faculty were having to go back and prepare lecture notes almost one week, two weeks at a time to finish out the semester. Um, kind of like HD, you know, uh, we did okay. Um, you know, some of the feedback from the students, it wasn't ideal. Uh, I think we asked a lot of the faculty, a lot of the staff and the students all at one time, uh, but we finished it and we were fortunate. Um, it's a little different. We, we ended, you know, the academic calendar ends sooner, you know, graduations usually the second week of May. So, you know, between spring break and finals was really about five weeks, five and a half weeks that we just kind of got it through. Now, overall, I'd, I'd give us a, a solid C plus B minus on, on how we did. Um, we were very anxious about what enrollment would look like for the summer though. Uh, and so, you know, the announcement was made, we were gonna go to 100% online over the summer. Um, and, you know, we did agree that we were gonna go reduce some of our fees because students wouldn't have access to the student center. They wouldn't have access to the rec center. So we had to waive those fees. Um, and our enrollment numbers actually were significantly up over the summer, thankfully. Um, I think young people or any students, there's, there's so, we talked about this earlier also kind of privately offline, that we have no control of the virus. So we look to things that we, what do we do have control over? Well, as a student, I'll have a little bit of control over my finishing my academic coursework, my career that I can control. So I'm gonna go ahead and sign up for classes, right? Um, one of the things that we also did, and a lot of the universities in Texas did this was we gave an optional grading uh, policy where um, if students had trouble with connectivity or they weren't doing really well with the online platform, they could opt to take the class pass fail. Now, a lot of people are kind of like, well, you're just giving out grades. No, the student still has to do the work. How the grade is recorded or reported is what's there. So let's say, um, I decided, you know, it's my, my senior year and I was, wasn't doing really well. I was distracted because I had a sick family member. So I, 
opted to take, you know, the, the, the pass fail route. And then as I graduated, I decided I want to go on to either graduate school or law school. For graduate programs, I have to report my actual GPA. So the faculty members is required to keep the grades in their grade book for a significant amount of time. So it's not like, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. It's what's the actual grade. So I think there's a little bit of confusion, but that's, that's really helped take some pressure off of the students. Um, you know, uh, reducing the fees in the summer was helpful. Um, you know, and now we're kind of, we're, we're getting ready for phase three. Our phase three starts um, on Monday. So phase one was uh, emergency personnel only. And that lasted until early June. Phase two was um, security facilities and then researchers that had equipment. You know, we have cell cultures that we're working on that have been managed. So they were able to, essential personnel could be here. And they've been here since June. Next week, it's more for faculty and staff that are gearing up for, the, for students returning to class. Um, and, and again, though, it's kind of as needed. We don't need everybody coming back all at one time. Uh, our team here has been uh, uh, just tremendously productive over the summer, um, almost too productive because, you know, you take out travel time, uh, you take out, you know, just a little things in the office uh, that, that add up and eat your time up. The, 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 the team has just, uh, I couldn't be prouder of them of how hard they'd work and, and how serious they're, they're taking this. And, you know, we want to look out for their families also. We want to protect them as well. Um, you know, one of the things we've got to look at with our security staff is that they're here the whole time and are people practicing, you know, social distancing and wearing masks. So, um, you know, again, so far so good. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're going to put our best foot forward getting ready for the fall. Uh, but again, it's anyone's guess at this time. So. Yeah. Everything's still, still up in the air. Doc Hodges, what are your thoughts? You know, first of all, uh, you know, I've, want to say, you know, how lucky we are in West Houston to have such great colleagues and uh, great pathways for education. You know, we talk to each other. Uh, HD and I have, uh, you know, I think ALEAP is one of the premier school districts uh, in the state. And, uh, you know, we, we talk constantly about how do we matriculate those students into higher education. And then uh, Jay and I and his teams um, talk constantly about how do we get them from the community college to the University of Houston. So, you know, we're blessed in West Houston to have great partners. Uh, we, uh, it's sometimes better be lucky than good. Uh, we had required all of our faculty, adjunct and full-time faculty, to have what we call a Canvas shell, which was an online presence for each of their courses where their syllabus was embedded. And then to a lesser extent, you know, we required them to have their learning objectives and uh, uh, online as well. So uh, that was a real advantage when we had to flip. Uh, March 12th was the beginning of our spring break as I recall. And so we had spring break. Then we had, we extended spring break another week so we, in effect, had two weeks to get our faculty up and running. Uh, and uh, we had a number of great faculty coaches and mentors to help the other faculty uh, that, are, that weren't uh, inclined to uh, do online learning. Uh, 
And the complications for something like the Houston Community College <clears throat> is that we're across the county. You know, we have 20 different campuses, huge organization. <clears throat> so immediately we went to an emergency management system and uh, we have regular meetings, uh, command and control kind of meetings. So we implement the same policies across the institution because we can't do one thing at one side and then another thing at another side. But on the other hand, there's special needs like Jay was talking about. Um, you know, there's, there's the, we had to go clean the labs up, you know, the biology labs. And there were some ongoing research projects at the community college, you know, truck driving, you know, welding, uh, HVAC, all of our health careers down at Coleman have special needs. So it, it, on one hand, we have a requirement to uh, do everything universally and the same, but then on the other hand, we have special needs per campus uh, and per program that have to be addressed. So having conversations about all of that is uh, pretty time intensive. So our faculty work throughout spring break and then that extended spring break to get up and get launched uh, in online learning, you know, that week that we came back. Um, I would agree with uh, HD. I think our response was mediocre uh, because of the tremendous uh, adjustment that all faculty had to make. Uh, so we have absolutely great faculty who were inclined to do uh, uh, online learning. And we had about 23% of our students online anyway. So uh, we have, <clears throat> we're very sophisticated, I think more sophisticated than any other community college as far as online learning. But at the same time, your welding faculty had to be online. Uh, your, uh, <clears throat> You know, we couldn't do truck driving. We couldn't do the skills-based kinds of programs. And uh, I'm glad to say that we're uh, uh, <clears throat> bringing those students who couldn't get finished with their skills-based training in the health careers and the technical areas uh, back now to finish their programs. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> we have a lot of pro essential programs that we're training in, in health careers, truck driving, uh, and a number of other skills that uh, we got to put people in the workforce to respond to this, uh, you know, this virus. So uh, we've, we've had to do that. Uh, the, the last thing I would mention is the students. Uh, and when I say our, our response was mediocre, I don't think it was so much on behalf of Houston Community College, but our students are, are aren't ready, weren't ready with technology to do the kind of level of work that we would want them to do online. Uh, also their learning environment, you know, if you're at home, uh, you've got three kids who are uh, working on uh, school and you've got a two bedroom apartment and you're, you're working from home and you're going to school you know, it doesn't work. You know, there's just no way you can, you can do that. You know, one of the things my wife and I drive around at night, you know, to get out of the house and uh, we were driving downtown by the public library early on. Uh, and uh, 
you know, at the downtown library. And I saw these people, I said, Oh my God, look at all these homeless people, you know, that are camped out by the Houston public library. No, they were, uh, they were tapping into the internet, uh, the Wi-Fi at the public library. So there were probably 50 people there, uh, on the, uh, on the public library network. So, you know, so I think all of our challenge was to provide those hotspots for students. And I think a major challenge we're going to get into in the fall is providing a learning environment for students where they can do their work and have some learning spaces uh, that frees them up. So uh, lots of challenges ahead, that's for sure. How would y'all say the quality of the education has been impacted by uh, by this pandemic and what we've been going through. Jay, I'll start with you. It's almost like a case-by-case -case scenario based on the, the program, based on the professor. Um, you know, by and large, the faculty really care about their students and they really want to lean in and do their very best. Um, how nimble those faculty members are. The, you know, faculty are like everybody else. They don't like change. You know, they've, they've taught this way for a long time. So, um, you know, I will say this, that, you know, we did get feedback from the students saying, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, there's been this, this push in higher ed that, you know, why don't we go 100% online? There's online programs throughout the country. And I think the students really like a face-to-face -face environment. And I think it's the whole learning experience where it's, you know, the interaction with your classmates, the dialogue, the falling asleep on your desk, all of that is part of the experience. Um, I never did that, but, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, that's part of the experience, right? So when you take that out, I think to Zach's point also, uh, the learning environment, it's just also providing a place to study. Um, you know, that really, that really has changed. So um, taking that feedback from the students, um, the uh, division of, of faculty success and, and, and uh, it's Dr. Mark Clark as the vice president's division has put a lot of energy into providing additional training. Uh, you know, how do you really interact? How do you engage with online learning? Uh, you know, you, you can't just record and some faculty do this, but you can't just record your lecture and just put that online. You know, uh, I taught online years ago and I had a hard time interacting with it because you miss the face-to-face -face interaction with the students and again that's a traditional online class where you don't see them now we're moving to more synchronous classes um, in the fall zoom team these platforms now have been wonderful and we've seen how you know i think zach and i have talked we've gone you know five meetings a day with six different platforms and you have to navigate through it but you know the video quality is a lot better um, and you can lecture in real time. So we're, we're doing some synchronous uh, online learning where, and I think, you know, HG is probably doing the same thing. The teacher or the professor is lecturing in real time. The class is hearing the material in real time uh, using chat functions. They can ask questions, they can interact. So that's a little bit better than, you know, a canned online class. So there's still, you know, students still need that flexibility uh, you know, if they're working full time or they've got kids at home and they're taking care of sick parents or whatever, you know, having it to, to the coursework, here's the assignment, you get to it when you get to it, here's your due date. You know, we're still offering that also. But I think U of H has put a lot of energy and effort to making sure uh, faculty have the tools, the resources, and the training 
to provide the best experience. How about you, HD? What are your thoughts on the quality of education? Depending on the on the course, the content, and depending on the the grade level or the age of the, the student in the K twelve system is gonna is gonna dictate that. I, I would argue that that um, your our younger our pre K through roughly third <clears throat> excuse me our pre K through roughly third graders uh, the quality of education for those those little ones has suffered probably more than than, than our older kids just because you. If you've ever if you've ever been around a four or five six year old, it's um, unless they're playing a video game on computer, it's hard to keep their attention. <clears throat> so so there's a lot of a lot of uh, uh, I'm worried about particularly in my district because we have we have so many students who come from extremely economically disadvantaged backgrounds and language barriers. I'm really worried about the the learning gaps that have been created by by them not being in a school with a face to face instructor. Um, our older students, it's it's been, um, and we've got a little bit of data to, to support us on this. It's not been as severe, though their learning loss, if you will, because they're more they're more adapt and they're just their age allows them to to uh, to work through a virtual based instruction a little bit more a little bit more successfully. The students, I'm uh, the the older our, our middle school, high school students, the ones I'm more concerned about are the ones Zach talked about a little bit uh, and Jay talked about. It's our kids who are going through uh, career uh, technical education courses who need access to hands-on equipment, the things that, that many districts across our state have, have provided for, for a variety of different uh, skill sets. So those students, obviously you can't replicate that on a, in a virtual environment. Uh, so I'm, 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 I'm concerned about the impact it's having on, on our kids who are actually preparing and training to sit for certification exams and competency-based exams. I'm worried about where they are with, uh, with the preparation in that regard. And then um, our, our probably most, our probably, our, our single student population that's being hit the, the hardest on this is our special education students. And so we have roughly, you know, I, I don't know, right at 10,000 students who are identified as special needs, special education. Some are severe and some are not as severe. But for those students who are either medically fragile or have severe learning uh, disabilities that are accustomed to having literally one-on-one, -on -one, and in some cases, small, small group instruction, face-to-face, in-person with, a, with a, a trained special ed teacher, uh, those are the families I feel for. I and mean, I feel for all the families, but the families with those children, um, you're, unless you're specially trained, you're just not equipped to educate uh, those children. And so I'm, I'm, um, I'm concerned that, that, that not only the learning losses that are being uh, developed and are being exacerbated with that population, I'm concerned about just the support to the families uh, so that these these special needs children can be can be adequately uh, uh, worked with, as a, as it relates to just performance, and I want to I'm I'm curious as to Zach and, and Jay's response to this. I'm, uh, in in the K twelve world, our performance is dictated and and based upon how students do in large part on a standardized test. So if 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 all of my students took a test today and they performed poorly on that standardized test, then I would tell you, then the people would surmise that, well, 
they, those children are way behind uh, the, the, the virus, the gap from the spring and the summer and, and through, through right now has really impacted them because they didn't score well on a standardized test. If we're going to use we, the royal we, if, if, if educators and our communities are going to use a standardized assessment and the results, student results of a standardized assessment to make or to draw the conclusion as to whether to how poorly students are doing or how well they're doing, then I think I think the 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 answer to the question is is there's been a huge hit to students because we because students don't live in a world that prepares them for standardized testing. The only world they live in that prepares them for that is school. The rest of the world doesn't base themselves off of standardized tests. So we're we're going to begin measuring students because that's that's what we have to do. Uh, and we're going to begin assessing them. As I mentioned, we started school today. We're, we're, we're over the next four to six weeks virtually, we will measure them against a standardized test. I mean, that, that's, that's what we will do. And that will tell us a little bit. Um, but but I'm, I'm, we're trying to develop other metrics in our district that we measure to determine and to answer the real question about what just happened to us academically. What just happened? We, we, we won't know until we somehow get in front of kids and, and if, again, if, if our measurements stick to determine whether it was bad, so-so, mediocre, whatever adjective you want to describe, if our measuring stick is a, is a star test in our world, a standard, standardized test, then, I, then I, yeah, it's going to be bad. It's going to look really bad. When in reality, we probably have a lot of students who are, who are thriving and actually uh, finding that a virtual learning environment is more suited to their personality, to their learning style, to the way in which they just operate. They'd rather do their work at one in the morning after being given the assignment than to do it in a in a in a face-to-face -face environment. So I'm I didn't mean to get off on a lecture on the on the assessment, but I think it's critical as we draw conclusions about what just happened academically. And if that's what we use as our measuring stick, then then that's going to tell us one set of data points. If we use other ways of measuring, then we may get we may get a, a different a different uh, answer. So, um, I look at higher ed, and I'll, I'll I'll shut up after this. The reason I, I I'm interested in Zach and Jay's perspective is is because there are certain standardized assessments and ways in which higher ed measures as to whether a kid is ready to enter U of H or whether they're ready to enter into uh, Houston Community College, whether it's the TSI exam or SAT, ACT, whatever whatever the whatever that assessment is. Um, if we use those assessments to measure whether students have lost the college readiness levels that we had uh, originally attained, then I think higher ed is going to be disappointed because there's going to be a lot of students who aren't going to meet that. When in reality, they may have learned other things through the last six months that better prepare them to be successful as they, as they move forward. So I don't know if that made sense at all, Jim, but that's kind of where my mind is on, on this. How did we do and, and, and what educational problems have occurred? Uh, I'm, I'm really curious about how we're going to define those problems because I think if we misdefine the problem, we could actually add to the, the, the create additional problems that we've already experienced. I know we're kind of going a little off course here, but it's very pertinent to to just that, and and and, and as it pertains to what's happening across our nation with the fight on whether or not to get kids back into school or not, and, you know, understanding the sensitivity of the politicizing of of of, of the educational system right now. Um, but, 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 you know, 
just being a common uh, logical thinker like me, uh, I've got to believe that the longer that this lingers, the deeper the the deeper the potential damage could be to our educational system of the K through 12 student uh, who really need to be in that more structured uh, learning environment. Do you do you agree with that, HD? Uh, Jim, absolutely. And and I I'll probably should have prefaced anything that I've said is that. There, there is absolutely, if I could, if I felt that there was a, the, the safety and health was adequate to bring students and staff back, I'd bring them back today. Absolutely. There is nothing that replaces the magic of in-person learning and in-person teaching. No question about it. Yeah, that's, that's what we've heard from all of our, all of our colleagues who have kids uh, who are in the K-12 uh, school age range that, that their comments have been that just you know, it's just, it's been a tough transition and that the, the, the amount that they feel that they've learned in that period from March till end of May or whenever school ended, uh, they just, it was just a, there was just a gap. So, you know, I know it's getting yeah. something new. Jim, that, that gap has nothing to do with social status or, I mean, I mean, kids coming from wealthy families and stable families were, the same thing was happening, happening to them. And, so yeah, it's. Um, I know it's been politicized, and I I don't want anyone uh, from a from a from our perspective, from the educators' perspective. When I decided to to shut school down, or when I decided to open 100% virtual, had nothing to do with politics, had nothing to do with my own beliefs, had to do with what my health officials were telling me, and and that that's it. That that is it, and and will continue to be the driving force of decisions. Safety, safety and health and well-being of, of students, and, and in our case, our colleagues and associates, first and foremost, period, in the story. So, Doc Hodges, uh, what are your thoughts on, on quality of education real quick? The approach for Houston Community College is fourfold. Uh, we're, we're calling it college your way. Uh, so we have the Flex Campus where we'll have, we'll have cl in-person classes observing all of the safety standards. Uh, HCC, it's safety first for the faculty and for the students. So we'll temperature check everybody and sign everybody in that's coming in on the campus. We will not start our on-campus classes uh, <clears throat> for a tra the traditional kinds of classes until October 4th. So those students will be online from August 24th till October 4th. Then uh, in the Flex Campus, th those lectures will be recorded and students can watch the lecture from home or be in person, uh, but again, observing the 50% or 25% uh, standard that we have to live with. Uh, then we have the uh, lab classes that you just have to be there. I mean, if you're taking truck driving or nursing or, or something, you just, you gotta be there. So again, we'll observe all of the safety standards. Then we'll have online classes that are synchronous where it's, it'll be just like in the classroom, but you'll be from home that'll meet at a regular time. And then we'll have classes that are asynchronous. It's our traditional online learning where students can do it. You know, moms can, can do their homework at 10 o'clock at night after kids are nine after everything settles down. And uh, again, we've had about 23% of our students doing that anyway. Uh, our problem, uh, we're kind of folded right in between the public schools and the, and the uh, university. 
the, the public school kids, they've got to be there. I mean, they've got to address their learning one way or another. Uh, the university students are traditionally have a background of success either at the community college or at the university in a higher level of sophistication because of their uh, test scores and academic performance. Uh, our students uh, can choose not to go. And a lot of them are, we're really worried about enrollment for the fall because what we're hearing is a lot of students say, I don't want to do online learning. I want to do it in person. And if you don't provide me that, that uh, uh, opportunity, I'll just opt out and go next semester, go in the spring. You know, I've got my hands full anyway. I'm not, you know, I'm working three jobs or I'm trying to find jobs or I've got kids at home in school. Yeah. You know? So, uh, so we're really worried about students just opting out and taking a semester off, um, which is frustrating. I think the other thing, I think as far as assessment is concerned that I'd like to talk about uh, is, uh, you know, I'm against high stakes testing. I, I would rather leave it up to the local school districts uh, or to see, uh, you know, because really high stakes testing uh, presents opportunities to test, take, you know, to teach to the test and then creates passive learners. I would much rather see active learners. Uh, I, uh, uh, HD and I uh, have worked hard on this uh, to get as many experiential experiences in place for our students because, you know, we're, we're faced with, you know, in a math course, you know, how are we going to make sure that students, when they take their test, are, that's who they are, you know, uh, in other courses. If you have a traditional test, then, you know, how are you going to validate that that student's doing the work? Whereas if you've got a project-based approach to learning uh, online where students have to demonstrate their learning, they have to show you what they've done uh, and, uh, and then articulate that to the instructor, that's a different level approach to, um, to learning. And I think it's much more valid. I think that's kind of what HD was getting at. Uh, uh, U of H, uh, we're opening our uh, Cullen College of Engineering joint partnership in Katy uh, uh, this fall. And we have, I think, 25 students who will be going through that cohort. Uh, uh, U of H will teach the engineering courses. The community college will teach all of the other courses. And uh, those students will go through that cohort together. They're jointly enrolled. They're paying U of H tuition. They can go to football games if they have them. And, do all of the activities. Uh, really excited about that program. We had over 200 <clears throat> students apply for that program, uh, but they didn't meet the requirements. Uh, you know, uh, so again, that's a big issue for us. You know, uh, Calculus One is the first math course in engineering, and we're admitting students for pre-calculus for the summer, and still the students were not ready to enter the uh, the academy. So, uh, you know, uh, so the evaluation is that uh, students, when they graduate from high school, are ready for college or they're not ready for college. Uh, and then, uh, uh, so we, we have some profound issues. We had a big enough problem with students not being college ready uh, 
or even workforce ready uh, before the epidemic. And uh, we're gonna have an even bigger problem, I'm afraid, uh, after it. So, uh, uh, you know, again, A-Leaf is a gem to work with. I'm not worried about A-Leaf, I'm worried about everybody else, all those other school districts. And uh, because our job is to get students ready for the workforce or for uh, the next step in the university. And we have great university partners, the U of H, uh, Texas A&M, uh, UT Tyler. And so we have U of H Victoria, U of H downtown. We have great partners, St. Thomas, you know, uh, uh, so that, you know, the universities are, re are, re are ready to receive well-qualified students, but we got to get them there. You know? This time has definitely presented a challenge. So, but, uh, but as each day that passes, we're going to get a little bit better at it as, uh, as, as we go through this process. So, uh, so thank you. Uh, Chris, you want to, you want to take over from here? You know, Jay already talked about this a little bit, but, you know, maybe uh, HD and, and Zach, uh, you could ask, uh, answer, uh, you know, some of the things, specific things that you've done. You've got about four months under your belt of learning how to deal with this crisis in education. What are some of the things that, that you're going to be implementing in the fall semester that, that maybe are different from what you had to do to finish your school years? Um, what, you know, how, how have you prepared and, and what changes maybe have been made to, to get better at, at, at this uh, new reality, right? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, we have, uh, uh, we, you know, I have a great uh, executive team and uh, one of uh, uh, my dean of students, Rima Adil, Dr. Adil, is very astute at technology. So what she's implemented for the system is virtual chat rooms. So if you go to HCC and, uh, and you, you, you click on a virtual chat room, you, you've got an advisor at your disposal immediately. Uh, and that's effective. I mean, that works well. I mean, you know, when you think about it, you know, a lot of our students depend on transfer, you know, uh, 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 mass transit, uh, walk to school, ride bicycles, you know, have people to drop them off. Well, if you can get your, your orientation done and your advising done and your admissions and your financial uh, aid done, and you've got a person face-to-face -face, uh, talking you through that at home, uh, that's an asset. You know, we, we didn't have that before. Uh, you know, so uh, there, are, uh, there are advantages to, uh, and we're learning a lot this way, uh, uh, there are advantages to, the, to what we've learned as a result of this. So we have a, an outreach right now where we're connecting with every student that didn't enroll for the spring, you know, to, to, to reach out to them, say, what can we do for you? How can we help you? They need technology, get them the technology, go through the options with them. Uh, the textbooks, you know, how are you gonna get them delivered to your home or how we're gonna have, uh, you know, uh, online text uh, that are free of charge. Uh, so it really, what, we're, what we're going through, the biggest opportunity, the transitional opportunity, is what we're moving from is that, that, that education doesn't just occur in a classroom. It deserves, it, it, can, it uh, occurs throughout the campus and it, can, it, it, and it uh, uh, goes, uh, you know, you can learn throughout the community through internships, co-op experiences, 
and you may take an online class, but you've got to come to campus to work as a team with other team members to do a project. Uh, or you may do that virtually, that you have a team that you work with virtually, then you have to demonstrate your learning online. All of those are healthy trends for higher ed. I mean, we've, you know, we've jumped ahead 10 years from what we ought to have been doing. You know, I mean, we talked about be getting people on an educational platform where students understand all their learning objectives and use the community, use the campus, use uh, work with other students to demonstrate their learning. We've talked about that forever. Well, guess what? We just <laughs> got forced into starting to do it. And, uh, and faculty don't have any choice but to be receptive. So, you know, you know, don't waste any crisis, isn't that what they say? So uh, we've, uh, we're learning a lot and uh, I think we can make huge uh, gains in education through what we're learning if we're all open to it. Chris, just real, real briefly so we can hear from Jay. I, uh, we learned a lot, obviously, during the, the, the last four months. Here, here's three things we've learned and, and how, how what we're doing now is different from what it was and, and how going forward is going to be different. One, uh, we now have devices and a way to deliver instruction virtually in a much more robust way than we did four months ago. Not, not only not only the technology handing i mean we've we've been all over the media the last two or three days with our handing out of chromebooks and hotspots and all the things we've been giving out to all our our families that need it that's first and foremost the second thing is we we literally have a curriculum now we um if you if you if anyone wants to go to our website and click on a leaf learns at home you could literally you could literally teach your children using um, our, I mean, it's step by step, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. It tells you how to set up your kitchen or your bedroom or something as a classroom. Gives you the flexibility to use either synchronous, which is a new word for some of us, and asynchronous. Uh, I mean, it, it, it literally helps you as a parent and as a teacher uh, give you a, a roadmap to how to do this at home. And then the third thing um, that I think is going to be over once we get on the other side of this, and I want people that are listening or watching to this, watching this to understand that we're going to be back in face-to-face -face school at some point. That is going to happen, and it's going to happen in in phases. And it's probably not going to be you know on Friday you're virtual and Monday everybody comes back to school. It's not going to be one of those situations. It's going to be a, a strategically phasing in, as I mentioned earlier. But one of the things I, I kind of look forward to at that point is now you have all this virtual in place that when, when, when a student is sick and has to stay home because they don't feel well or they're running a fever, they don't have to be absent from school. They, they, we can automatically pivot and say, okay, HD, if you're feeling bad or you got, I mean, if, now this is obviously depending on the illness, but if you're, if you're at home because you're running a little fever and uh, you can, you can literally turn and be in school virtually and one, not be counted absent. Two, the district continue to receive funding for that student being in school if we can de de demonstrate that, that we're teaching them. And third, which is obviously the most important, not lose a day of instruction, not, not miss a day of instruction. So I think as we move forward, this is gonna create all kinds of options for, for and that was just one example of how the, the, this may be used long-term, not just for the short-term gain, I mean, not for the short-term uh, 
survival, if you will. Uh, I think there's things that we can learn from it in addition to everything Zach and Jay have mentioned. So those are just three quick things that, that, that I would say that, that uh, is completely different from what it was four months ago. Jay, you want to add anything? I think we covered a lot of it. You know, we're, we're, we're all looking to each other and we're all playing off of each other right now. You know, to, to Zach's point, you know, we're kind of giving educational options in terms of, you know, we call it a high flex, which is um, face to face for those that want to be face to face, but that also has an additional section that's synchronized online, synchronous learning and then asynchronous, which is additional online classes. Um, you know, with the high flex is kind of what we're doing differently is, you know, we still have to have social distancing in the classroom. So if the classroom normally sat 40, we may be able to get 15 students in there. And depending on the, the layout and design of the classroom, it gets complicated really fast. If, you know, for example, um, you know, if you hopefully you've been to our new campus in Katy, if not, we'll have you there soon. Uh, you know, our biggest classroom 105 normally sits about 110, but if you're doing social distancing and you've got to have a six foot radius, it goes down to about 25 very quickly. Uh, so you're getting a quarter of the amount of students in there. Okay, so, you know, does A through M comes on Monday for face-to-face -face and N through Z comes on Wednesday? Well, you know, so just kind of looking through those details because um, it has to be structured because if you leave it up to the students, you know, on Monday, there's nobody there because nobody wants to go to a Monday class and everybody shows up on Wednesday. So, you know, like, great. And then, then you can't have them sit in there. So it's got to be a little bit more prescriptive and thought out. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting for us to see really how many actually do show up. Um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I'm, uh, Zach, I'm, I'm yeah, learning from you that you know, y'all aren't going to be face to face until October. Uh, our plans are to be face to face uh, on the 24th when we return to, to classes. So, um, that being said, though, of our classes, you know, um, uh, in Katie, I'll have 19 face to face classes and 26 online. Again, we just have engineering and nursing there. Uh, in Sugarland, I've got uh, normally it would be almost 170 classes. We'll be down to 35 classes, and those classes that are going to be this this high flex or face to face are classes that have labs that you know nursing, uh, mechanical engineering, technology that have to have this hands on component. Um, and again, we're going to have to. You know, normally these classes may have a lab that that has 20 to 50 students in these labs. They'll be down to 10 students, but we're going to have multiple sections per day every day of the week. You know, we're going to be offering classes on Saturdays just to get it covered um, for as long as we can because, you know, the high flex and the asynchronous gives us the flexibility to say, okay, numbers getting high again. We need to, to go back home for a little bit. It just gives us that opportunity. I'm knocking on wood over here. Hopefully we won't need that, but if we have to, we've got that mechanism in place. So, so it kind of sounds like if I sum it up, the question that, and some of you talked about this already, the desire really is and the better thing for education both for students and maybe and for teachers is face-to-face -face learning but that may not be able to be happening until later in the fall semester 
Um, you know, so kind of a quick answer. Does it, does that make sense? I mean, face to face is the preference, but you've learned so much that you can have the alternative now to do, uh, you know, off campus learning at the, you know, like, like you're mentioning in special situations where somebody's sick or, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, God forbid the, the virus continues, but, but we've learned enough that we can continue education, but the preference really is face to face, right? I would call it student engagement you know, engaging students, you know, face-to-face, anybody can be face-to-face, but to engage students in their learning, you know, that can happen in the classroom, that can happen on campus, that can happen virtually. Uh, So I really think it's about how we engage students, get their attention and structure their learning. So uh, I think that's the broader uh, concept. I like that phrase. That's good. Student engagement. As we've been saying here, uh, uh, social distancing, not social disengagement. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the things that, that we're all working towards is, is in-person learning, but we also know that uh, there is a significant role for other ways of engaging students. And, and, and here's where the, this is where the, this is the tricky part of engagement, uh, uh, at least in our world, there's one, and I think Zach alluded to this earlier in some comments, it's one thing to be engaged in this conversation, like a student with a teacher. It's another thing for that student to demonstrate that he or she just learned something from that engagement. Mm-hmm. So in, in, our, in the K-12 world, we're having to, uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> I mean, think about your, your traditional student sitting in an English three class who's bored out of his mind or her mind. Uh, they're in class. They're, atten- they're attending, they're there, they're present. Uh, you could even argue they're engaged because they're there, but they're, they're checked out. They're, they're no more engaged than anyone who's sitting at home watching TV. So the, the, the challenge that we have is making sure engagement actually leads to uh, some way of that kid demonstrating that that engagement brought something of, of significance to them. And that's Jay and Zach, we, that, that is, that is the ideal environment, the ideal situation. It doesn't happen all the time, whether it's face-to-face or, or virtually, but that's what we're, I think in this new virtual world, we're gonna to to be really careful. We, the K-12 world's gonna be really careful that we don't misinterpret engagement for just being there. And, and, and that's, that, would not, that would not serve anyone well. One quick thing about the safety issue that, and I know Jay was talking about, and Zachary about social distancing and just kind of the, the plans they're putting in place. I. Uh, I was doing a Zoom. I did a, a Zoom town hall last night for NBC, and had a bunch of questions being sent to me through the through the moderator. But one of the the, the questions that keeps coming up from parents is um, they it's the it's the question surrounding how do you balance uh, you being me or Zach or anyone else in a leadership role, Jay. How do you balance the safety issue with the educational issue? I mean, what, and, and, and I'd be curious to, to have Jay and Zach chime in on this. Uh, my, my, my comment, and, I, and I, I've been asked a lot, why did I make the decision so early? I was the first one in Texas to make the decision that we were going to start 100% virtual. I made that decision in mid-June. And there's a, I won't go into the reasons why, but I had my reasons. But one of the things uh, a good friend of mine who's a lawyer told me, he says, in law school, they teach 
if you, they teach you, if you want to be a good lawyer, particularly a good trial lawyer, if you want to be a successful trial lawyer, you have to be able to have the capability of having two conflicting messages in your mind at the same time and not be troubled by it. And the application and in, in what he was saying is, is in court, sometimes a defense attorney has to have, they, have, they may be defending a client that they know is guilty, but in their mind, they know that one part is conflicting with their, their duty to defend this individual. The application in education right now is, is that we, myself, Jay, Zach, we have a responsibility to protect the health and the safety and the well-being of adults and of children. We also have the awesome responsibility of providing an education. And, when, and what we find ourselves in this during with, with this with this situation we're in is, is that we're trying to prioritize both of them first. In other words, we're trying to give each one of those, the safety and the health and the education, we're trying to prioritize them as first. And I've, I came to the conclusion early on that I couldn't do that. It would drive me insane because for every decision I would make on the safety and health side would contradict a decision that was in the best interest of the education side. And if I did this the vice versa, if I did on the education side, it would contradict and compromise the safety side. So I think all of us, uh, the three of us and others across the state who are in leadership roles in education have had to prioritize the safety and health of our, of our staff and our kids without sacrificing the education component of it. And, and I think that, that to me has been the challenge has, is, I mean, that's what, if, you know, I was asked last night, what keeps you up at night? That's the thing that keeps me up at night is balancing the, these two responsibilities uh, with some type of equal emphasis and, and attention and uh, without sacrificing both of them uh, to the point someone gets harmed. So, uh, I, I, you know, if anybody wants to know what's on the mind of a superintendent, that's what's on my mind. And that's, that's how I've approached the decision-making is uh, over the last five months. It's no different in the business world that uh, the health, safety, and well-being, well-being of your team member is first and foremost, as we mentioned earlier, and that drives a lot of uh, just about every single decision on, on how we go forward with our business plan moving forward and why we have been on a uh, vacillating between a mandatory and a voluntary work from home program since mid-March and, and, and uh, don't see it ending uh, immediately, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's in place just because of that, trying to keep everybody's safety. So. Um, tell me this guys, what, uh, now I know uh, Zach, it doesn't necessarily apply to you, but, uh, but Jay and, and, and HD, uh, how is this having an impact on extracurricular activities such as, uh, band and orchestra and choir and, and, and sports and uh, other things that go on either in the K through 12 or the, or the university? How, how, how is that happening? Jay, I'll start with you. Well, you saw on the news, we, we started summer camp. And had to end summer camp, I think, within days, you know, with the, with the football team testing positive. Um, U of H has done a great job, put a lot of effort into They've got weekly testing for all of the athletic program for student athletes that are back on campus over the summer. Um, but it's kind of up in the air still. You know, we've got to see what the conference does in terms of football. Uh, you know, I think we've got two holes in our schedule now for non-conference games that we're trying to fill. Um, and then, you know, let, let's see if we can, you know, what the season's going to look like. Do we need to push back 
uh, when they start. Um, you know, in terms of band, you know, the marching band will be in the stands if we're able to have football games, but there won't be a halftime show. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, I haven't heard the final number, but the attendance will be reduced in the stands during, you know, during football games. You can't have, it's going to probably be less than half uh, in, in the stands. Um, you know, to, to HD's point about the safety piece of it, you know, yes, we're going to be face to face, but the students can't congregate in public areas between classes, let alone face-to-face uh, -face student organizations having meetings. You know, we want those clubs, you know, a lot of the student clubs uh, are professional. They're, they're the, the student uh, chapter of a national organization for all the different professions. That's part of their professional development that they're going to have to continue to network, you know, because we still, we want these students to get great jobs when they graduate. But how we do it has got to be different. And, you know, HD, I, I, I'm with you, you know, uh, everything, you know, everything has changed so much. Um, you know, I, I, we were talking about, you know, planning for pandemics. My, my background actually is in, in food safety, and I've taken a lot of classes on public health and epidemiology. And I'm real conservative when it comes to bringing people back and almost to a fault of being too conservative because if I can keep you healthy, I can educate you. But if you get sick, I, I can't have you come, you know, that, that just, is, that changes everything if, if, if we get sick. And, you know, again, we're, I think we're stuck on a calendar right now where, um, you know, you finish high school in four years and you're supposed to be done with your bachelor's degree in four to five years. We may have to do gap years. We may have to pause it. We may spread it out over time. Uh, so really, we've kind of got to, one of the things I've told young people, you know, with uh, my boys were active with Boy Scouts, so I've met with a lot of scout kids of doing career development. Run your race. Oh, my God. If I say that, well, you know, don't worry about everybody else's doing. You run your race. You know, if you've got to take a gap year or a gap semester, if you've got to work full time, if you're, you know, a single mom with kids at home, run your race. We're here for you. We're going to help get as many obstacles out of your way as we can. But we got obstacles popping up, new obstacles popping up with us too. So, you know, my, my takeaway would be we're in it together. We're going to figure it out. But it, uh, it, 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 again, it changes daily. We want to get these student athletes uh, back on campus. But first and foremost, they're students. You know, and I think we forget that sometimes. You know, their academics need to come first. Their health comes first, then their academics, and then sports. Um, now, you know, my, my, my youngest son is, is a student athlete. He'll put soccer over school and I have to remind him, don't do that. It's school first, you know, but that's where his passions are. Um, so I'll, I'll, HD's probably in the same boat, you know. Yeah, we're, we're going to, as far as a system, we're not going to have any UIL activities as long as I'm in 100% virtual learning. Um, that's, that's, that's contradictory in terms of decision making. If I were to keep kids at home from school, that allow them to come up and start working with marching band or football or cross country. Um, you know, we, <laughs> you, uh, high schools across Texas have all been, have all had the opportunity to have strength and conditioning camps over the summer. And as Jay said, 90% of us started in mid June when we were allowed to, and within a week we were shutting them down because the cases were, it was, it was phenomenal how quickly they began spreading, not just the athletes, but to the coaches. So that, 
uh, as a practical matter, whenever I begin considering allowing students to come back into school, whenever that may be and however it may look, that's when I will begin considering allowing extracurricular folks to begin assembling after school. Now, uh, there's a bunch of clubs and organizations that can continue to, to, to move forward virtually. Um, I think, Jim, probably your point is, I mean, your question is about the things that most people in society are interested in is athletics and fine arts and the things that we've grown accustomed to and, and, and believe in. And, and I know Zach and Jay would agree with me. I mean, there's, and Jay even alluded to his own son, uh, there are many kids that that's why they're in school and, and at least in their minds, you know, they're, they're so I don't, uh, heck, I coached high school football for many years. So I'm, there's no one bigger a supporter and understands the value it provides any kid more than I do. But goodness gracious, I can't imagine if I'm saying I'm not going to let them come in school because of a safety issue. Why in God's name would I let them, let them assemble in, on a football field or a volleyball court? To, so that's, that's going to be a, you know, I, I, people that listen to this and who are huge high school football fans, uh, I, I think some of our rural communities, our, our communities in, in, in parts of Texas that aren't nearly as impacted as our urban, suburban, densely populated areas, you're going to see those kids perhaps competing and, and moving about the fall uh, as, as, as normal, if you will. Your urban, suburban areas, uh, if we have a football season, it'll be condensed and I'll be surprised. I'll just, I'll just tell you that. I'll, I'll be surprised if we do. Agreed. Totally agree. Zach, you got anything you, you, you want to share with that? No, I think clubs can meet virtually. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, we, we are not letting people on campus. You know, I'm, uh, I have not been on campus. I probably won't go back until September sometime. Uh, we have a staff on campus, uh, but uh, we are not allowing students on campus uh, at all. Safety first. So um, yeah, we we are taking a very very conservative approach. So um, you know, I think we have to. As kind of a follow up to that, uh, and and this is completely secondary, I would think. But have you all begun to analyze the fiscal impacts of not having the 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 revenue coming in from from sports activities and such, and and the other things that you're you're gaining? I mean, it, it's. Uh, it's a reality of what you need to pay for the education that you do provide, but you have lost a lot of that revenue. Is there, has there been any analysis of that or thoughts about what you're going to do? It's tremendous. So, I mean, a lot of lost revenue from athletics. Um, you know, uh, we also had a contract with the XFL that went bankrupt. So we're looking, you know, thankfully, you know, the, the rock and his, his group has, has purchased it. So maybe we can recover some of that, but, our bigger financial loss has been through auxiliary services. So parking, uh, housing, the dorms, food service. So, um, you know, again, trying to pivot, uh, you know, we'll still have, we'll still have to buy parking permits in the fall, but we're not going to have maybe 25% of the population on campus. Uh, housing will have 50% of the students will be in housing or 50% occupancy of all of our, all of our dorms. Um, that does help us from a safety perspective because we're able to offer students their own room without having to have a roommate. Um, but then food service also, we can't have students in the cafeterias. Uh, so uh, plexiglass is being put up in all the cafeterias. There's a lot of much more takeout options. Um, so you can get your food to go. Uh, they'll have designated areas, kind of like in the restaurant. If you've been to a restaurant now, sit at this spot, but not that spot. Uh, so it's very restrictive on where we can let them go. But from the financial side, uh, 
um, it's it's very challenging. You know, we're in a base year uh, for our budget. We're going to see what the state's able to help us out. But if they're going to be giving us cuts again, uh, we did a 7% budget cut at the beginning of the summer, did a hiring freeze and did a spending freeze uh, very quickly on. Um, like I mentioned, our enrollments up, we'll be up about 5% at U of H uh, for the fall. That helps a little bit, but um, it's going to be some tightening of the, uh, of the belt, I think. Uh, on the, on Chris, on the, on the high school side, we bring in revenue. There's no question athletics does bring in revenue, but it doesn't impact our budget nearly like it does uh, U of H or, or any uh, university system. It's uh, we don't, we don't count on it to, to balance budgets. We don't count on it to fund anything other than just kind of self-preserve uh, uh, portions, portions of athletic budget. So that part of it's not a, a major factor. There are other significant factors um, uh, that I think you guys may find interesting. Uh, if not, uh, I, I would hope you would. One, one little thing that gets into the details that impacts schools. So whether we're, regardless of where you live, whether you pay your school taxes, where your children may go to school, one of the things that the state of Texas has put in place for K-12 has to do with reopening for face-to-face. -face. So for example, uh, Texas funds us based on the number of students in school. So it's, it's based on attendance. The, the, the state has given every district in Texas an eight week window, eight weeks, so two months, an eight week window to go fully virtual if they feel that's the, the if, if they feel that's necessary, after eight weeks, the state is now is going to require that districts open up their doors for any parent who wants their child to be to return to school for in person, without without us being able to manage that number. It's literally open for any any parent. Now there's a waiver process that that if we get to week seven or week eight and we still our local health officials and everyone believes that it's still not in the best interest of everyone to let kids back in, we can extend that. But as it relates to funding, if a district is uh, if a district gets to week eight and the state says we're not going to fund you anymore for 100% virtual unless you allow those families who want their children back in school to return, then you're going to have districts would be that that, that you're going to have districts that are going to be in a position of having to make decisions between health and funding. Uh, you may have a district that says, you know what, in my heart of hearts, I don't feel comfortable bringing any kids back or any staff back, but because this, this, this funding issue is being held over our head, uh, I don't want my district to go bankrupt either. And so there's this, no one's really talked about that a lot. Well, in the educational world, we've talked a lot about, a lot about it, but in the, in the public domain, there probably hasn't been much discussion on that. Uh, if you've paid attention to the governor's press release last Friday, uh, they're trying to walk some of that back uh, by, by talking about local school boards and local health officials having the ultimate authority to make these decisions. But as a practical matter, as a policy matter, right now, if, if Aleaf or Katie or Spring Branch or any district gets to the eight weeks and they still feel uncomfortable about bringing kids in, there's going to be a bit of a little tug of war between us and the state of Texas as to whether they continue funding us if we decide to keep kids at home beyond that eight weeks. To your question about funding, that's what I'm more worried about than I am athletic budgets or anything like, or not having athletic events. Uh, this will be my last question for, for uh, Jay and Zach. Um, the, uh, uh, 
the, the, the COVID crisis has, has caused a lot of workforce uh, depletion, people out of work and such. Have y'all seen a, uh, an increase in, in online registrations for people that are, are simply trying to you know, grow more skills so that they can enter the workforce in a, in a new job? Uh, is there, have you seen any increase in that due, due to uh, uh, you know, the, the unemployment rate? Our transfer numbers are up, so that tells me that folks don't want to send their kids back to other, you know, away from home. And then our professional degrees, like our post-bac courses are up. Um, so we're looking at offering as many micro-credentials as we can, uh, working with, you know, thankfully, Sugarland and Katie both are professional workforce pipeline drivers. So we've got, you know, all of our advisory boards have a lot of industry folks in there. So we're getting input as to when, when we're able to hire, what do you need, you know, and who's laid off and really kind of addressing that. I know Zach, their HCC does a fantastic job. You know, I keep up with him and his post of what they're offering. So yeah, we are see people that are, that are transitioning. You know, one of the things is when there's an economic downturn, enrollment usually goes up, you know, that and we're, we're starting to see that not in huge numbers, but again, it, it is helped driving some of our numbers. Um, so again, just working with the community to see what they need, um, you know, uh, with uh, engineering's a little bit a little bit harder, nursing's a little bit harder, and Katie, College of Technology and Sugarland has a little bit more flexibility uh, in the program than they can offer. But yeah, we're 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 moving into that space as fast as we can. Uh, yeah, the uh, I'm worried about enrollment. I think we are going to be down somewhat. <clears throat> I think the other community colleges are experiencing the same thing. One of our biggest problems is we have more international students than uh, any other place in the country. F1 students uh, and, uh, and students that are on some kind of visa here. And the door has been shut on those students. So that's gonna have a tremendous impact on us. And those are all full-time students who, uh, uh, you know, it's a revenue stream for us. Uh, I think also the uncertainty, I think people Jay's right, you know, when the economy goes down, usually enrollment goes up, but I think there's just too much uncertainty right now uh, for people to see. Uh, I, I think it's easier to wait a semester for our types of students to wait until the spring and get things settled at home and uh, figure out what they're going to do, whether they're going to go back to work, get a new job or whatever. Uh, we're working very closely with uh, the work source uh, for uh, retraining students, there's no, there's care money attached to um, that federal uh, legislation uh, for to pay enrollment. Uh, but that was for the summer. We're not sure what's going to happen in the fall. Uh, so there's a lot of people need to go to school, but they're not. Their circumstances are such that uh, my fear is they're going to uh, uh, make a choice about. Uh, you know, delaying that. So I'm worried about enrollment. We're funded three ways, local tax base, which we think hopefully will hold steady at least this year. Uh, uh, state, uh, which what were you, the $10 billion deficit right now at the state level? And then tuition. So if tuition goes down, that's a problem. We have a healthy contingency fund uh, with uh, uh, within our uh, institution, which can help somewhat, uh, but we're we're unsure. We're un we're you know we're tightening our belt too. We're putting in place contingency 
plans like worst case scenario, <laughs> uh, uh, next worst case scenario, best case scenario. So we've got three things going as far as our reaction as an institution, all of which will have a negative. We're all distracted. We're all distracted by the finances, by opening schools and so forth. It's just, it's a rough time because of just all of the distractions that just occupy 25 hours a day. We'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up with, with two questions, the last two questions here. And, and for all three of y'all, um, uh, Jay, I'll, I'll ask you to start off with this one. And that is, is it, uh, you know, as I always say that we've got to look for all the good and all the opportunities that come from all the bad that we experience in life. So with that being said, what are the key takeaways from this experience uh, over the past four plus months uh, that you would believe that would change the course of education uh, from this point forward? You know, I'm, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, but the, the other, the, the, the big takeaway for, for us from an operation side is the productivity. You know, there's been a, there's a big push to keep people, you know, in the offices and then you had to be at work to get your job done. Our team has been flawless. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I came into the office today. I was, I was laughing when Zach talking about his dogs in the backyard. I, I came into the office to avoid my dogs because my office mates at the new place aren't doing real well, but we're doing great, you know, but really in terms of productivity, uh, it's been tremendous. Um, you know, how we deliver the service, the service is still great. It's just different. You may have to leave a message and we're going to call you back or, you know, it's through email. One of the funniest things that when we started was, especially like in April, um, you know, everyone was getting up and going to their desk at seven o'clock in the morning and staying till like eight or nine o'clock, afraid that they're going to miss a call or an email. And I'm like, guys, you know, if you were in the office, you'd get up from your desk, you'd go check on somebody, you'd grab a cup of coffee. If you miss a call, they leave a message. You, you have to take a shower at some point, please. You know, you don't have to be on 24 seven, but I think everyone was so uh, concerned about demonstrating their productivity that they, the, the pendulum swung too far out. I think hopefully we're getting back to a normal balance, but um, you know, our team has been so productive and that's one of the things I will commend that, that president Couture has done just an amazing job. And, and my boss Provo short being flexible, being compassionate. We have the opportunity to look at everybody's personal uh, needs, you know, whether that's kids at school coming back, um, you know, how do we manage that? You know, our hours that we, when we conduct work may change. Um, you know, we may have to do half days. You don't have to be there all the time. Now there's people that have to be there just to do their work, but we're going to work with them or we're going to figure it out. So I guess my, my big one, the main one thing is the productivity uh, has been tremendous and that we surprised ourselves by not having to physically be in the office every day. Hey Steve, what about you? Well, if you, uh, there's a lot of things we've talked about today that I believe are, are going to be beneficial as we move forward. I'm, I, I was interested in Jay's response because I would agree I, that didn't really cross my mind until he said it, but it is the truth. I believe people, when, when people, when you ask them, you know, a lot of comments are, I've never, like you said earlier, Jim, I've never worked harder in my career, but really, if you looked at my calendar, there was really nothing to, to provide evidence of that. That's what pe people, um, 
I have I have learned, and I think people have learned this about themselves and leadership's role. Leadership role is how do you do during a crisis? Like, you know, it's it's pretty easy to lead when things are going okay, or you're just dealing with your day to day type issues. But when something like this hits you between the eyes, I think a lot of leaders have learned a little bit about themselves and about how they truly do react in a in a crisis situation. Uh, on the education side, this is this is not a specific. Thing, but I, I, it's more of a societal thing. Uh, I think, generally speaking, that society has now has a, a refreshed uh, understanding of how critical the education system is to to to, our, to the way our country operates. Some some look at it as babysitting. You know, there's some who are making the <clears throat> they're just kind of arguing. We need kids back in school so I can take care of my own business as a parent, which. Uh, in some cases, they're just wanting to find someone else to watch their child for the work day. But I think most are beginning to re or, or realize really quickly what role education across our, our area and across our country plays, not only in the teaching and learning, but just in the ability for society to move forward, the economy to move forward, the economy to rebound. And, and you know, for parent for parents who had to try to help their fourth grader do fourth grade math last spring, it probably gave them a, a, a stark reality of just what level of academic uh, expectations are being placed on our kids. You know, if you've ever had to do third grade math or fourth grade math, and I know you're an engineer, but, but we've got math majors that sometimes struggle with, with what these little guys are being asked to, to do. So this re this re reappreciation of, of what, what the school systems do within a given community and as a society at whole, um, and then the politicizing of it is not is not helped in that regard. However, it has it has brought schools to the front and center of a discussion, and it and it is allowed. You know, I've I've done seen I've done some I've been on CNN and I was on Fox News. It's been it's given us a platform as educators to make comments about. I don't care how I got here. If you got me here to be a, as a political statement, that's one thing. But for me to be able to have the platform to talk about the role of education, I think Jay and Zach and others who are in leadership roles are, are trying to take advantage of that to significantly say this is where the role of education plays, and or this is the role that it plays. And I think our country has re revisited that, you know, and appreciates that. I think, uh, I think higher education was in a crisis anyway. There's fewer students uh, coming into, you know, the traditional academy. And, uh, and I think it's going to really be a test, probably like business, you know, an evolutionary kind of uh, cycle of who adapts the best and uh, is going to survive. And there's going to be a lot that are, aren't. There's a lot of universities that are going to go bankrupt in this country and uh, uh, the whole student debt thing. Uh, there's just huge issues in higher education. So those that are nimble are gonna make it and thrive and those that uh, aren't, aren't. That, that is a sad reality as we continue to go on. I'm not really quite sure that we have felt the full brunt of all of this. I think it's gonna be a, a kind of a, de a delayed reaction at the end of the day, but as we have before, we'll get through it. Um, last question. How can the public um, be a better partner, continue to be a better partner uh, with the education system, the administrators, uh, the educators, 
uh, the whole process. How can how can the public be a better partner or continue to be a partner with uh, with the educational process? Uh, well, I think uh, again, uh, education occurs in the classroom, but it also occurs on the campus and in the community. Uh, business, uh, I think, can be clear on what their expectations are of us. Uh, and, and then help us achieve those expectations, whether it's certain workforce courses or workforce training that they need, uh, but to active, actively participate with all of us. Uh, secondly, providing internships, coaching, mentoring. You know, our students don't know what they don't know. Uh, so, uh, you know, so in, in community engagement, uh, Jim's on my business steering committee and keep him informed that way on the workforce of the West Houston Association. But uh, I want business and industry to feel the responsibility for, for, for providing a 21st century workforce for Texas and Houston. Jay, what's on your, what do you think? You know, to echo what Zach said, you know, I think there's a real opportunity to take advantage of the technology component. Um, and, you know, there's a real opportunity for our industry partners to reach out to students through these clubs. The clubs are going to be looking for things to do in a virtual setting. They can't go tour facilities right now. So if there's a way for, you know, even folks from your HR department to look at setting expectations for what that first job looks like. And really, you know, it's kind of like a, even with my own children, talking with my kids, you know, I've only been in higher ed for 20 years and I don't know anything about it. But if I get an industry person to talk to them and say the exact same thing, it's gospel. So if we can get you guys in there and kind of coaching our students of what the expectations are, um, what the you know career opportunities there are, I think uh, students are looking for any kind of hope. Also, you know, when this is over and you get a job, a, a great job, especially with an engineering firm, here are the benefits of that and really give them something to look forward to and coaching in that. Um, I think for young people planning for their future and hearing from folks that can help influence that future feels normal. You know, that's, you know, they're making plans and these plans are realistic to, to lean into that and to speak to that could have a tremendous impact. So thank you for asking the question. A specific response would be to a specific segment of our business industry is on the, on the uh, internet provider side, I, I would I would request that those companies and those industries be more engaged in helping build up the capacity for our most needy families to have access to the internet and to devices. And uh, you know, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but but if we're gonna if we're gonna learn and take advantage of what we've learned for the, through this virus on the technology side. Uh, internet, reliable internet, reliable devices, things of that nature almost got to become uh, equivalent to utilities that, that, a, that a community provides. And while that's gonna take a long time, obviously, I would, I would request that our, our technology sector partners get more engaged. And we have, I mean, they're, they're, and I don't, wanna, I don't wanna call out names, but there, there are some uh, providers that are stepping up and doing everything they can do to help uh, not only in the short term, but a sustainable plan for the future. So that would be the, the one ask. The other would be exactly what Jay just said is continue talking about the, the hope and the ability uh, for everyone to, to know that we're going to get through this and not only on the economy side from the business perspective, but the education side. And we're not going to let um, 
we, we refuse to allow a health crisis turn into an education crisis. And if we don't do, if we don't, if we don't work together on this K-12, higher ed, business community, we could allow um, a health crisis turn into something perhaps just as bad as an education crisis for the, for the future of our, our society and our community. So those are my two big things. Yeah. One of the, in the podcast series that we've been doing uh, throughout the summer, throughout this pandemic, uh, one of the big takeaways has been broadband, uh, broadband needs, broadband uh, reliability, broadband strength, et cetera. So uh, that plays into it. You know, again, one of the things the takeaways that we as a business came away with is, is just by virtue of the electrical, or I mean, the, the electronic technolo technological uh, advancements uh, have, have helped us as well as y'all uh, 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 navigate through this, this, this uh, uncharted waters of a national pandemic. So uh, I will say, you know, uh, to everyone's point regarding the engagement of the business community, I, I commend our team uh, selfishly, uh, but they've done a, a yeoman's job because and we're real big into interns, and, and, and before all this, we were lining up a whole bunch of interns as we normally do for the summertime. This came, and all of a sudden, it stopped. Our team got together. They, they figured out a plan, and although it's kind of a, a modified version um, and much shortened, we were able to salvage uh, after the month of June, bringing a, a, a big handful of interns in, even though it's a short amount of time and it's kind of a limited experience we've been able to continue that because we were, the, the team was very committed to doing that. And then another thing that Chris Brown did, uh, which was um, uh, the first of, first of its kind that we've ever done, it was extremely successful. And he did a virtual uh, internship for a couple of days uh, for a group out of uh, Texas A&M and their planning, uh, and their planning uh, 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 studies uh, there in College Station. And, 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 you know, uh, the feedback was you, you couldn't have given them all a bar of gold and they would have been any, any happier. So, I mean, it was, it really worked out good. So, and it's just, it's, it, it's adapting to, uh, adapting to the current, uh, current situation that we got. So, but, uh, well, we'll go ahead and wrap up guys, man. I cannot thank y'all enough, man. This has been absolutely just, uh, uh, an amazing conversation and, and, you know, we appreciate, uh, everyone volunteering to do this and, and, and y'all are, are really just such a dynamic group because of how everything fits together and the partnerships that, you know, just say, for instance, Alif does with HCC with the, uh, the, the location, how, you know, they work together to get the high school kids into the, into the college environment and then HCC working very closely in the partnerships that y'all have with uh, U of H. Uh, this could not have been a more dynamic uh, group and 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 a and a and a and an opportunity for a great podcast. So again, gentlemen, uh, HD, Jay, uh, Doc Hodges, thank y'all very very much for your time today. We know y'all are uh, very very challenged with uh, with time and 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 in this new environment that we hope we'll we'll uh, navigate through sooner rather than later. But uh, but while we're here, as we always say, when given lemons, make lemonade or. Uh, let's try and figure out how to, when it's raining, let's dance in the rain. So, but, uh, but again, gentlemen, thank y'all so much. Uh, to all the podcast listeners, thank y'all for, uh, for, for joining us today. Please continue to stay uh, tuned for uh, future podcasts that uh, EHRA Engineering the Ground Down uh, will do uh, with, uh, with regional influencers, elected officials, uh, their teams, organizational clients, um, and, uh, 
and, and, and other, other educational opportunities as well. So, so again, thank you all, everybody for joining. Thank you gentlemen for being our guests and uh, that will uh, conclude today's session. We hope that you have enjoyed today's episode. If you would like to hear more episodes of The Ground Down, please visit www.ehrainc.com for updates. Make sure to check out EHRA Engineering on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube for all kinds of cool content. 